Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. We got a little snacks tonight. Looks very delicious. And uh, if you're not here, well, you're missing out. So maybe next Wednesday you'll come out and see us. You'll come be with us. you come hang out with us. Uh, Jesse said we're reading the entire book of Revelation, so I don't know what he's going to do next week, but I'm sure it'll be good, so just come out. Read it Uh, backwards. What's that? We'll read it backwards. Oh, we'll read it backwards (laughs) next week, so that'll be great. No, no, no. But he is uh, starting to dive into Revelation, and uh, very excited. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, and uh, I hope you're excited. I hope you're ready to get into this. This will be the first time I've actually had the pleasure of getting to go through it. Usually I'm doing stuff with the youth and uh, missing it out, but I don't get to miss out this time. I get to get into it, so I I am excited. Um, If you saw today, um, we shared on our Facebook a song by Cody Carnes, and it is that uh, cross, the cross has the final word, and uh, what? Oh, 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 I got to scoot over. Oh, okay, sorry. Anyway, we shared a song that's... uh, Sings about how the the cross has the final word, and um, I just I really like that song, and I really like the reminder that it, it gives for all of us is that no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, no matter how crazy this world gets, the cross has the final word, and uh, I encourage you to go listen to that song if you if you missed it. I encourage you to go check it out. Without further ado. Uh, Would you join me in prayer tonight? Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to come and, God, just to to get into your word. God, to to learn more about you and who you are and the direction that you're taking us. God, we ask that you would speak to us tonight, God, that your presence would be with us here and wherever you are online, wherever everybody is listening, God, that you would move in, God, that you would invade that place, God, with your presence, that you would pour into their hearts that are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And bless the snacks, the food. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They're blessed. They're blessed. It reminds me of uh, going to a certain store that I always go to, and you know you do too. And a very, very sweet lady up there at the checkout counter, which is amazing, right? A very sweet lady that's up there uh, running my, my stuff across and uh, she asked me, she said, uh, so how are you doing today? And I said, well, I tried the Dave Ramsey thing. And if you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, he always says, better than I deserve. And uh, that particular day in my prayer time, I really did feel that way, that God, you have blessed me more than I could ever deserve. And so I said that. I said, well, better than I deserve. And uh, she had that little Jesus pin on her little, on her little blue vest or whatever. And so I knew... I knew that she knew where I was coming from, and she looked at me, and she goes, Oh, no, baby, you deserve it, baby. You deserve that blessing, baby. Uh, so, there you go. You have a blessed meal and a, a 
snack there, and you deserve it, right? You deserve it. But yes, we are diving into the book of Revelation. Uh, no, we are not, as I was just kidding earlier, going to make it through the entire book tonight. In fact, we are probably going to make it through the entire book for the rest of the year. No, maybe not. No, I will try to scoot a little faster than that, but my point being is there is so, so much to it. So much backstory to it, so much understanding that you have to get before you dive into all the symbolisms and all of the um, little idiosyncrasies and all the things that go in with um, the, the reading of the book of Revelation. So that's really what we're going to do tonight. We're going to set this up. We're going to talk about the who, what, where, when, why, and how of Revelation. All right, the who, what, where, when, why, and how of Revelation, just to kind of get us started, get a foundation, get a base going. Um, found out interesting things that actually I just discovered. And I have been teaching the book of Revelation for many moons now, many, many moons. In fact, I usually teach the book of Revelation about every three years or so, three or four years we, we go through that. So we have actually went through this Oh, three or four years ago, and we're going to go through this again just because I think it's very, uh, very pertinent to what is going on right now. Amen. Um, it's a lot going on right now. A lot of, man, it's, it's a lot of serious, serious stuff um, going on right now. Um, this, is, this is just my, my opinion, um, so take it for what it's worth. You don't like it, I completely cool with that. I understand that. And, and uh, we can still fellowship. It doesn't bother me. Um, but whenever all of COVID stuff began in our country, I know it's been, been hitting the world or some of the world before it got to us. But before it got to us and as things were ramping up here, I guess that's when it obviously was hitting quite close to home, literally. And in my prayer time, I just felt like there was something very dark and sinister behind all of this stuff. Not calling names, not calling anything out like that, but I just really felt spiritually in my prayer time that there was like a, a, a dark cloud trying to make its way over our country. Um, and ever, ever since then, in my prayer time, I still feel that way now. Then obviously, with all of just the turmoil that's going on right now, that cloud seems to be getting darker, and it seems to be growing bigger. Um, and it is a reminder to us, it's a reminder to you, it's a reminder to me, that um, the enemy's not playing around. And we, we are in spiritual warfare, very, very seriously so. Uh, no matter who's right and who's wrong, um, there, there's more than one side to all of this. And in all cases, there's a battle going on. Um, I, I, as a fan of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and, and his Lord of the Rings saga and The Hobbit, Saga, um, there's one of my favorite movies in The Hobbits, 
Saga is the battle of the five armies, and it's when they all converge and come together at one time, and that is almost what it feels like now, that there's more than just one side hitting us, that it is just uh, an avalanche, if you will, of just this darkness that's trying to take over our hearts, trying to take over our country, trying to take over the world, and I will tell you, it's all by the enemy. It's all driven by the one who knows that his time is up. Um, whether who's right or who's wrong, um, we know that the underlying factor is this. The enemy is at work. He's at work. And he's trying to divide. And he knows that a house divided. He knows the word better than we do. And he knows that the word says a house divided cannot stand. So that's where, though, we have the promise that as God has promised us, that if we, being his people, will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and repent and turn, then he said he'll heal our land. And I alluded to that Sunday that he's told us that it's our land. It is, And that's not... I'm not saying that in an arrogant or braggadocious way. I'm saying that because he's given us a promise that the meek shall inherit the earth. And the meek being those that are uh, being humble before God and doing things God's way. This is not uh, saying it in a braggadocious way at all, but it is saying it that he has given us this promise that um, we will live in a land that's blessed by him if we as people can continue to seek his face. So I think it would be proper for us, before we dive into the book of Revelation, which some of this will overlap, um, but I think it would be proper for us just to take a moment and let's pray. Pray for all sides, all people that are involved, that wisdom and clarity come through, that righteousness does begin to shine and rain and that mercy triumphs over justice and judgment and that God's way is had through God's people and God's people stand up and declare that this is God's land and that light can shine no matter how dark that cloud is. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we need you. We need you for peace. We need you for wisdom. And we need you, Lord, for your righteousness to reign. Lord, I am, my heart is truly broken for those families that are gravely affected due to everything that's been going on. God, I just pray that you bring healing not just, not only to a people group, but to a nation. To a nation. A nation that has prided itself in being full of people groups under one banner. And tonight, I claim that we are people groups under one banner. And it is under the banner of In God We Trust. So, Father God, we trust you. And I, 
I repent. I personally, and on behalf of those that are under my ministry, I repent. I repent of ways that I have set forward that have not been righteous. I repent of ever turning deaf ears and deaf and blind eyes to needs. Lord, I repent, God, of having my own selfish ways be exalted above your ways. Your ways is to love my neighbor as I love myself. Your way is said that, that if we are going to obey, if we're going to follow you, we must obey your commandment. And that old commandment is love. So I pray today, God, that you would wash sins away. The sins, Lord, that I've been so selfish in. And I pray, God, that you enlighten my heart and my eyes to help a brother or a sister in times of need. Lord, use us for your glory. We trust you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Book of Revelation, heavy, heavy subject, heavy book. Um, it's a book that a lot of people don't read. Um, it's a book that, that some people read too much. <laughs> I guess there's not, not really, uh, I think they, there's, there's really not, anytime you're reading the Bible too much, that's a good thing, right? That, that, that's an okay thing. But when you start inserting your own spin and your own thing and your own way, and that begins to get a little bit tricky. And that's why it, it can be tricky. It, it can be tricky to read the book of Revelation because there are so many spins and so many different takes on it. Um, there, there's a lot of confusion about the book of Revelation. There's a lot of confusion about the end times and marks of the beast and all that which we have been hearing tons about with all of these microchips that's been implanted. Um, all of this um, kind of high secularization and high society stuff that that is, yeah, right before our eyes. And um, I, do truly, I do truly believe that we are approaching the last days, very much so. Um, and I say that by saying that the world is ready for, or, or getting ready for this one world stuff. Um, the technology is there that has been needed to be. When you read this back 300 years ago, 200 years ago, you think, well, man, how can the whole world worship one person at one time? We can do that now. We can do that now. Uh, the, the market system is poised and ready. The economy, uh, world economy is moving toward that, that era of time in which is, this stuff is possible. Not just possible, but probable. Um, never before in the history of the world can we say that, but we can say that now. We can say these things right now. Um, the technology needed for a mark, it's there. It's there. Now, we're going to go over what I believe through all of my studies and years of studies, and I believe um, the timeline will be, and I do believe that um, we as Christians 
though we need to be fully aware that this mark is coming, that the mark of the beast itself does actually not totally come into the picture until after the rapture of the church. So it is something that we do need to be aware of that says, oh my goodness, yeah, I need to be careful of all of these certain things. Um, but we also need to be aware of the fact that God has got this all laid out. And when you stay true to Him, things are going to be okay. If you stay true to Him, things are going to be okay. If you have your, your Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelation Chapter 1, I'm just going to read the first three verses right now. We're going to skip around a little bit. Um, but we are going to go over the six points or the six main foundational truths that I want you to understand before we get deeper into all of the nitty-gritty stuff. Now, obviously... Um, those of you that have studied the book of Revelation before, those of you that have read it, those of it, and some of you may be even smarter than I am about all this stuff, um, but those of you understand there's a timeline, there's an outline actually set forward in Revelation chapter 119. There's a timeline, an outline set forward. And this outline is part of what we're going to go over tonight, but go deeper into it next week. And that outline is, this is Jesus showing up in John's life, right? This is Jesus showing up in John's life at a time in which John was exiled. We'll go over more of that in just a minute. At a time in which John was exiled on this island called Patmos. I know many thinks, wow, that's bad, right? To be exiled on an island. How many of you are like, amen, that's put me there. Put me there. Um, I'm going to go over something I actually have learned um, a little bit deeper in that in just a minute. But, needless to say, getting kicked off with this, this is God showing up in John's life and telling John to do something very important, to write something that, I'm going to, that he is going to reveal to John. Um, as you write this revealing, we get the word revelation in the Greek, it's apocalypto, apocalypse, as you write this, there's a blessing that comes with this. So let's go over that real quick. Num Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. It's very important. It's a very important contextual, foundational, hermeneutical truth of understanding the book of Revelation. Right there, the very beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not John's revelation. Okay, This is not something John came up with. This is Jesus Christ himself showing his beloved disciple, John. And he's showing his beloved disciple, John, something that someone needs to know. Who are these someones that need to know what Jesus is showing? Servants. Right? Those people that are doing everything they can to love and to serve the words and the testament and the gospel and the, and the commandments of Jesus Christ himself as he has set forward um, the, the moving of the church. Okay? So here we are. 
So first truth is you got to understand is this, that this is written for his servants. This is written for God's servants. Really important, and I'll get more into that, take place. Oh, here we go. Our first divisional statement found here in the book of Revelation. Where some people have taken this and ran with it, and they run to the point where they've said that, oh, see, we're already there. Okay? All of this stuff has already happened. The Antichrist's already come. The beast has already come. All of that stuff's already here. We're, we're, we're already eyebrow deep in all of this stuff. Well, part of what I want to do for you tonight is to help you to decipher this in a proper way. When he says, the things which must shortly take place... What he is saying, and it goes back to that timeline, where Jesus tells John to write the things that you have already seen. Write the stuff, write about the stuff you've already seen, John. Write about it. John was, this gets into the who. Okay, this gets into the who of Revelation. John has, has already been on the trail, on the mission trail of building churches. Um, actually going in some of the same directions the Apostle Paul was going in. Okay? Um, most of you may not have understood or, or even realized that actually Ephesus um, is a main hub and a main port here in this area. In fact, Patmos is not far from this Ephesus, this huge port and hub city of Ephesus. Uh, rich, very rich city. John actually goes behind some of the works that Apostle Paul has done and goes to Ephesus and does some more work carrying on what Apostle Paul has already set up. Because at the time that this book is written, Apostle Paul's already martyred. Okay? So he's actually living in Ephesus. He actually fled to Ephesus. And um, from there, he actually gets exiled to Patmos. We'll go over a little more of that in just a second. But we know this, that this is written by, the book of, written by John, the apostle, the one that was one of his closest three of all of the disciples, right? One of the ones that um, he actually, was, the Bible actually says was closest to him during the time of the, the betrayal and the time where Judas begins to take off and dips the bread with Jesus and then takes off and betrays. John is the closest to him. In fact, one translation says John was actually laying on Jesus' chest. He was that close, getting close to him to ask Jesus some questions like, hey, uh, are we good and who's going to betray you? What can I do? Okay, um, So the apostle John is... Uh, he's writing this book around A.D. 70 to A.D. 90, okay, within the first century. So somewhere around 30, 40 years after Jesus' resurrection, okay. He's writing this. The church is on the move, but here's what you got to know. The church is on the move, but it is surrounded. John is surrounded by paganism Heathenism, mysticism, secularism. Um, he's surrounded by, uh, by all kinds of dark religions, all kinds of uh, beliefs and systems 
that are not very conducive to Christianity. He's surrounded by persecution. Um, he's surrounded by, um, by, th- by governments that are not too friendly to Christianity. Uh, you ought to understand what's going on. And, and before we get deeper into this, understand this. These servants of God are exactly that. They're servants. And they're dying right and left. At the same time, they're seeing revival. They're seeing people come to Christ. They're seeing people hear the gospel. Not everybody. Apostle Paul even says it at one time. He says, hey, there's people that didn't listen to me. Imagine that. Makes me feel not so bad as a preacher. <laughs> I'm like, well, if they didn't hear Apostle Paul, then I guess I can't get everybody either, right? But here's what I want you to look at. John is in the midst of all of this stuff. I mean, surrounded. I, I think I feel overwhelmed at times. But he's surrounded by mysticism and paganism and heathenism and secularism. He's surrounded by it. And yet, look what happens to a man that chooses to seek the ways of God in the midst of all of that stuff. He gets a revelation of Jesus Christ triumphant that has carried the church for centuries now. Think about what the church would be like if we didn't have this glimpse of victory. Think about how hard that would be at times if you did not have this glimpse of victory. Even Jesus, there's a reason why he tells tells his disciples on more than one occasion, I've got to die, but don't worry, I will return. All right? That's a huge factor, and that's a huge bonus for our religious system. All right? John is a servant. And in that servanthood, he recognizes that if I can just continue to seek God's ways first, in the middle of all of this mess, we're going to go over, when I talk about the, the seven churches they're writing to, some of these churches are in the midst of some paganism and some pagan worship that would make a grown man blush. That um, There's stuff happening. Most of you have probably heard it before, but there's stuff happening, stuff going on there that we would look at and go, wow, how uncivilized is that? And then we look at all the stuff that's happening in today's world and we think, we haven't come very far. <laughs> we haven't come very far at all. We can push more buttons and we can access more information, but the human nature hasn't come very far at all. And the same wrestling that John was dealing with back in that day is the same wrestling you and I are dealing with every day. It's the same wrestling match. So here's a, here's, here's a promise for you. Here's what to take home under the who. We know is about John. Well, great, what does that teach us? Here's what you take home. Look what happens when you become a man or a woman of Christ and you choose to seek God's ways above any other way. You're taken care of. 
God reveals things to you. God shows you things. God not only shows you things, but here in this passage of Scripture, that, that God actually raised him up and took him to the heavenlies. God used him in amazing ways. This was not the end of John's road. This was a gateway in a, into a transition of the entire Christianity at the time. Look what happens when you allow yourself to walk at a higher standard and a higher calling for a higher reason. If only we had more people like that to walk in the midst of darkness, shining a light of a higher reasoning. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus showed up and said, love your enemies, what crazy person would say something like that? What crazy person would say, turn the other cheek? That's ludicrous. What crazy person would ask and invite people that were down and out into his ministry, close to him? What, what crazy person would go to a racially divided area called Samarita, the Samaritans, Samaria, go there and knowing that everyone hated them and he goes there and shows them love? How crazy is that? Jesus coming and walking a higher standard and he says, listen, you say in your laws that not to, not to lay with another woman or not to have adultery and I'm telling you this as a higher standard. If you even look at another woman with lust, you are committed adultery in your heart. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying that I'm setting up a high standard of living that you cannot do, mankind cannot do, without the help of the Holy Spirit. And that dependency and leaning on the Holy Spirit every day of your life. If you are not living a lifestyle of depending on the Holy Spirit every single day of your life, you are not living by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. That doesn't mean you're a, a great evangelist preacher that you're preaching to millions every day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you get up and you recognize every day of your life, I need you, God, and I need the Holy Spirit to work in me, then you're depending on the Holy Spirit every single day. I love how you can actually take this book of Revelation and you can take John and you can insert your name into it. And it's the same life God wants you to live. All right? So that's the who. Let's read on. We'll get into the what's and the where's and all the other stuff. And he sent his, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. That, that's a side note, okay? That, that, this is not the book of Revelation, but this is a side note. Do you want to know how to process all of this darkness that's coming across your screen? You process it by this. 
He bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. That means everything that you see, everything that's going on in this world, how do you process it? By the word of God and the testimony of what Jesus Christ can do with it. Side note, that was free. All right. The sandwich will cost you. But this, that was free. All right. Here we go. Here's the blessing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Here we go again. And I've heard this both ways. I've heard the good old preacher get, the one, you know, the good ones that, that spit when they talk. Yeah, that's the really good ones that yell and spit when they talk. Um, <laughs> now y'all are done eating, I'm okay. <laughs> I've heard them yell, at, you know, just take this and, and start yelling at it and saying that if the time was near then, then how much more is it near now? Right? And there's some absolute truth to that. And here's what, here is what most Bible scholars believe this phrase means. That the time of the kingdom of God is already beginning to advance. And it's advancing against some major darkness. And it's advancing, actually the, in 1 John, John himself already writes that there's a spirit of Antichrist there. So he's writing and saying that, this, that the church is advancing. That the gospel is going forward. There's a spirit of Antichrist beginning to rise up to stop it and has been doing it for years upon years upon years upon years upon years. But the first domino has been pushed. Now we don't know how many dominoes there are. I don't know how many dominoes God set. Um, I don't have a clue when that last domino will fall. It may be tonight. Everybody's like, thank you, Lord, <laughs> right? Um, it may be tomorrow night. It may be 10 years from now. Maybe in my great-great-grandkids' time. I don't see how, but we don't know when that time is. But we do know this. The first domino has been pushed. The train has left the station and things are falling in order. And if you've ever watched someone set up all those thousands of dominoes and hit it and it goes, have you ever noticed at the end the dominoes get to moving faster? I will promise you this. The end will come very quickly. And it will come like a thief in the night and it will come. And it will be one of those things where you're like, man, the end is, whoop. <laughs> it will. That's promise. So that's why Jesus says, watch and pray. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on, okay? Which brings in the what. What are we talking about? We talk about the revelation, the book of Revelation. The what. In the Greek, it is apocalypse. That word means to unveil or to disclose a reality that previously has not been perceived. Okay? Go to Revelation 119. Revelation 119, Jesus himself 
says this to John. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. There's your outline. There's your outline of the book of Revelation. There's your, your timeline if you want to look at it like that. Write about the things which you've seen. John, write about some stuff that you've been going through. Write about the persecution. Write about all these things. Write about the gospel. Write these things. It has been traditionally said. This is not absolute verbatim word of God truth. But traditionally it has been said that the reason why John wrote the gospel of John is because of what Jesus said here when he says, write about what you've seen. And actually, there are people on the island who are begging for this gospel, and he actually begins to write it for them, and then it goes forward from there. Okay? So write about the things you've seen. Then he says, write about the things which are. That's the stuff that's going on right now. That's when Jesus tells him to write these seven letters to these seven churches. This is the things that's going on now. And Jesus is addressing some things in these churches. And you can take all of these things that's being addressed in these churches. And if you can make your church, your faith, your belief based on what he has addressed in those situations, then you know you're on the right track. But I'll promise you some of the same spirits and things that they're, that they're fighting and wrestling and battling with in those seven churches are still here alive and well today. It's the same, same spirits that our, the churches battle, Christians battle today. Okay, we'll go over more of that later. But, write about the things which are. And then, and write about the things which will take place after this. That phrase, after this, means after the church age. After the church age dispensation. There's a time period in which the church is dispensationally going to be moving forward in the will of God. And then there's going to be a time when he's going to say, all right, let's move on to the next step. And that next step, the, the, the bringing that next step on is the rapture of the church. Okay? All right. That's your timeline. John is writing by mandate. Jesus is mandating John, do this for me, John. He says, write to the churches and their leaders and give them encouragement. Because they've been under some stress. This, is, this isn't just, can we meet budget stress? This is, will my congregation live stress? Okay? This is some serious stress going on. And he says, write to them encouragement. Also, give them some correction. You'll read in the seven churches, some of them needed correction. Some of them big correction. Some of them little correction. Write under them, give them a perspective. Give them an understanding, a revealing, a perspective to see what they're doing through different mindsets, through a different mindset. And that different mindset is this, okay? We're at war. We're at war. So if there's something you want to take home, you need to write and take home, don't ever forget it. Make no mistake about it. Every single day of your life, you are at war, spiritually. 
Somebody thinks, ooh, that's exhausting. It is if you don't have victory already found in Christ Jesus. There is a spiritual battle happening for your soul every day. And you think just these little bitty decisions on to do or to not to do, you think that they don't matter? It matters. If Jesus himself says that every idle word that man shall speak, he will give account for it in the day of judgment, if that came out of Jesus' mouth in the book of Matthew, if he's talking about every idle word, uh-oh, <laughs> And I'm not saying that to scare you for judgment because here's the bottom line. Christ has taken that judgment on for you if you have allowed him to do so by accepting his salvation. But all these little decisions that we think we have to make, they may seem little, but there's a war going on. How many of you realize that a war is won by winning a bunch of small battles? Jesus is telling John to write to them and let them know, make no mistake about it, there's war going on. So it matters. Everything you do matters. Every time you take your child and you love them and you hug them and you, te- and you read to them a Bible verse and you explain it and you pray, for, pray with them and for them, it matters. Every time you take them aside and you say, son, look at all the garbage that's going on in the world these days. This is how you process it and this is what God's going to do with it and this is how you can live a life. This is why I've had such a burden lately on kind of revamping our children's ministry and our youth ministry that I've had conversations with 12 and 13 year olds over atheism, full-blown atheism. It's now time more than ever to get a balance with our kids and our adults on hearts and heads in faith. A heart and our head balanced on the fulcrum of faith in Christ Jesus is now more than ever important. Where people feel the Holy Spirit moving in their life and in their heart. At the same time, they understand the words of God and the reasons and the ways of God. It's important. It's important. When you pick it up and you think, am hey, I daily Bible reading today? I'm just reading a chapter for 15 minutes and praying before my day starts. We think, eh, it's not that big a deal. That is a huge deal. It's a huge deal to fold your hands and your knees up and pray. Even when you don't feel like it. It's a huge deal. I may have to make this part two and three. (laughs) I'm rambling. It's an important understanding that you've got to know. Because when you read the book of Revelation, you're going to read war. You're going to read warfare. And you've got to understand that. I had a very wonderful friend of mine, um, a lady who I've gotten to know um, through um, some other connections that she was asking me about reading the, the book of Revelation. And she said she's never done that, really. And I said, go for it. You feel like God's leading you to do so. 
But I said, you got to understand what you're reading, and you got to understand it in the context of this. There's a war between good and evil going on in here. Okay? This is some serious stuff. Okay? All right. I've pounded that horse to death. Are you ready? The next one is the weir. We got the who? It was John. We got the what? He's writing this revealing. You understand, with God, some things are taught, some things are revealed. It's a whole nother lesson. But, the weir. The weir is on an island called Patmos. An island called Patmos, which is a small volcanic island that sits in the Aegean Sea around 35 to 40 miles from the Turkish coastal city of Maltus. So right outside of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Okay? It's a little volcanic island. It's kind of a crescent-shaped island there. And it was actually in the first century... Um, I, I, I found this on, uh, let me make sure I say this right, BibleArchaeology.org. Kind of an interesting um, site. And I found some cool information on that. But uh, according to that site, in, within the first century, it had already become a natural protective harbor for this area, that area in what modern day Turkey is, or actually some of the areas around Ephesus. Okay? So here's what happened, okay? The Christians are getting, they're, they're, in, they're under persecution, but yet they're not going away. And every time that the enemy steps on the head of the Christian, that, that the, the fire actually doesn't go out, it spreads. And the government doesn't know what to do with it. All the way back from Nero, who was a crazy, crazy Roman emperor, to uh, Domitia, there, there's, there's, some, there's some nasty stuff going on with Christians, right? Persecution going on. Uh, Nero was so crazy that he actually started a riot in his own hometown by starting fires and then blaming it on Christians so that the whole city would get against Christians and run them all out of town. And it didn't really work. It actually backfired on him. But moving forward... This stuff's still going on for years, for, for years. And we're talking like from A.D. 40, A.D. 50 up to A.D. 90. Okay, this stuff's going on for years. So you've got John who's now moved or fled to Ephesus, and he's fled there so that he can continue the work, but he's also been under persecution in other areas. There's tradition that says he actually was almost killed twice, and he gets to Ephesus with, most likely, but he was, remember, at the cross, he's been put in charge. He says, there's your mom, there's your son, Wherever, just take care of her. So literally, everywhere he went, we think Mary, that sounds like that nursery rhyme, doesn't it? Everywhere, <laughs> never mind, all right? Everywhere that John went, Mary was sure to go, right? It was a little backwards, but here we go, all right? But literally, that's all. In fact, um, the, the, traditionally, Mary's and John's tomb is there in Ephesus. Okay? Um, so he fled to Ephesus, and there's a work there going now in Ephesus. But now there's riots going on in Ephesus because they're, they're, they're printing money in, in Ephesus. And the, on the money is the image of the gods that they worship. 
And now here this movement of Christianity, which is gaining speed, is saying, no, don't worship them. And so we're, there's businesses that are probably going to go out of business and things that's going to not, pockets that aren't going to be padded and money that's not going to be minted and all this stuff's going to be happening. So more riots ensue. And then with all of this, then we, the only thing that they think that they can do is take one of the leaders of this movement, John, and moving to another area in which they still have control over, but yet he's away from all of this stuff and it's called Patmos. Um, I actually have read in the past that Patmos was just a deserted island. They just kicked him out on because he was a prisoner. That actually, from more reading and more studying, that's, they're leaning more towards that's not the case now. They've done some archaeology and they've realized that this was already a major hub and a major port uh, outside of the port city, that this was kind of the buffer before they went on into the trade routes, okay? Um, that there's some major hub activity. There's already major, little major cities that's been going on here. There's already stuff happening. And they just put John out there just to put him out there and get rid of him, but yet still under their jurisdiction where they can hold on to him. That makes sense? All right. So, what do we take from this? The Weir, Patmos. If you were to read now the book of Revelation under the idea that he's actually on an island, and these islands are surrounded by mountains and by the sea. And he begins writing about beasts and things coming from the sea. That it's almost like God has allowed him an opportunity to get out here and get close enough to see with his literal eye and the spiritual eye this meshing together of what God is meaning. What do you take home from this? God's hand was on John the whole time. Even when it was something that might not seem like fun, being exiled, maybe 18 to 24 months, yet God was with him. And as God's hand was on John, John's hand never let go of God. There's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the book of Revelation is that part where he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day praying. Most people, including me, would be in my own selfish spirit pouting. <laughs> well, I got kicked out. Well, if God's so good, why am I stuck here? Right? Why do I have to do with all of this stuff? Why do I get persecuted? Jesus said, if they hated me, get ready. Okay? Take this home. No matter what you're facing, and no matter where it feels like you have been moved to, or what's going on in your life, or a door that was, you kind of felt shoved through, and you think, well, what in the world's going on? God's hand is on you, and he has you there for a reason. And when God's finished with that reason, that door will shut and another one will open. And there's nothing wrong with seeking and saying, God, I'm ready to move on. Nothing wrong with it. I've done that. But you've got to have full trust. You've got to learn to have full trust. Right? There's nothing wrong with looking for something better and climbing a ladder in your life. But just know this. 
God's hand is on you right where you're at. So don't let your hand ever let go of his. Make sense? All right. Man, I'm about to run out of time. What'd y'all let me do that for? The wind. Somewhere between 80, 70, and 90. At a time in which there was extreme persecution, I've already covered all of that. He's out there for 18 to 24 months, most Bible scholars think. On this island, I've already talked about this, so I'll go through this point pretty quickly. Um, martyrdom is already going crazy. Um, Peter, he's already, he's already been martyred. Paul's already been decapitated. James, he's already been martyred. Stephen's been martyred. You read about that in the book of Acts. Thing is, this has already been happening. He's actually one of the last few of the first generation disciples left. Okay? He's one of the last few that's left. There's all this stuff that's going on. Um, so I want to go ahead and get to the main point on this because I've already covered a lot of it. The wind, this during all of this, this turmoil time, what do we take home with this? We take home with this. Look at how John handled this situation. And I think it's a perfect example of how we need to handle the world right now. John allowed himself to stay walking at a higher standard and never, never back down from that. And his higher standard was not religious affluence. His higher standard was love. Pure and simple. That's why he writes in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loves us, loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother with whom he has seen cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is John saying, this is the standard I live at. How easy would it have been for him to, to, to just be mad at everybody because of his situation? There is now some tradition and some archaeology that has come forward to say that actually he established a church by, doing, by, by allowing God to do miracles through him on this very island because he chose to love. There are three that abide, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these has been and will always be love. 
John didn't just write this stuff and not, not perform it. He lived by it. Someone say, is, it, is, that, is that hard to do? Yes. It's hard to love. In fact, you can't do it in your own power. You can lust in your own power pretty good. But to truly have love, it's got to come from the one who is true love. It's got to be from the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. All right? So in the middle of the, tur- the turbulent times, what does John do? He loves. So what does God do? He ends up rescuing him. He builds a revival there on the, on the island, and then he rescues him. And then actually, not too long after this, Christianity becomes the staple religion in this area. All because of some crazy people who chose to love. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm crazy. <laughs> Why? Who, what, where, when, why? Why? Why is this being written? Why do, why do we need to read this? Why is there a blessing connected with this? Very short and very simple. It's found in the central message. Central mes- message of the book of Revelation is in chapter 19 and verse 6. Chapter 19, verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, He reigns. Why write this? Why do this? Why go through all of this? Why love in spite of everything? Why put up with this? Why serve God in spite of all the stuff you're facing? Why? 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 Because God reigns. He reigns. And he'll see you through. And if he reigns his plan and his will, it's going to reign. So I'm not a rocket scientist, but I figured this out. That if his will and his plan reigns, because he does, then if I put myself in his will and his plan, and they all said, bingo. Right? And the how. The how, as in how do we read this? How do we read the book of Revelation? You read it through the perspective and the lenses of three things. Three different, three things you put together. This is how you read the book of Revelation. Number one, you read it through the lens of under the context that there is war going on between good and evil. As you read it, don't forget that context. Don't forget that point. That there is a war going on between good and evil. Because if you forget that context, you're going to read it and you're going to be like, ugh, there's some harsh stuff happening. It's war. It's war. I've never been personally in a war on, especially on like foreign countries like a lot of our service men and service women have. God bless them. They would know this way more than I would. And 
I would be glad to sit down and listen to their perspective. But it's war. And in war, there's a lot of stuff going on that not very nice, not very good, not very pleasant. It's war. For real. For real. I lighten that mood with this. Have y'all ever seen the movie The Three Amigos? Go, 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 go watch the movie The Three Amigos. All right? Uh, Chevy Chase and Martin Short and um, uh, what's his name? Steve Martin. That's right, Steve Martin. They're the Three Amigos and they're actors and they're gunfighters. Well, they end up in a real war fight situation. And in this real situation, they didn't think it was real at first. They thought it was like a movie thing. And one of them gets shot with a real bullet. <laughs> and they go back and they say, real bullets. <laughs> and they don't know how to process that. <laughs> There's some real bullets in here. <laughs> okay? There's some real stuff. Real stuff happening. Number two, read it through the lens of when you can't understand all of the symbols... All of the symbolism. Look at the big picture. Okay? Don't get so lost in the forest for the trees. There's a ton of symbolism in here. Lots of stuff that I don't know. Lots of stuff that people smarter than me don't, don't understand quite yet. So when you're lost in all of that, don't forget the big picture. And i got to wrap this up. Number three. When you read the book of Revelation, read it through the lens of here is the big picture. That God is in control. That the church is triumphant. And that God has for his final time declared war on the evil that's here. This is God rolling up his sleeves. And saying enough is enough. Go get my people and let's throw down. I read to you in closing Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16 which gives you the big picture. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. For he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were, flowing, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're on his side, you win. No matter, no matter how crazy it is or seems. No matter what you deal with, no matter what you're wrestling with, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, no matter how, how crazy this world gets, no matter how dark that cloud may roll, 
If you're on his side, you win. I'm so glad that God knew we would need encouragement. And he knew it so much, he said, go ahead and give them a sneak peek. That I know what you're going through. But know this, I'm in control. And you win. You win. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, in advance. God, we praise you in faith. All this persecution and stuff that we've had to go through. Lord, I know that you're in control. And I've learned to praise you in the midst of it all. Because, Father, when it's all said and done and when the dust settles, there's only going to be one name left. And it's going to be yours. And that's why I have chosen to baptize my life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the only name that's going to, be, that's going to matter. It's the only name that's going to be left. So, Father... I pray that you give encouragement to all of those who need encouragement today. That the battle is not theirs. It's yours. And you win. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.